Hey there, Darren Vaught. In for DG on the David Glenn Show. Sorry, I got lost in my Twitter feed during the break. I saw that Burger King is testing a sandwich that is just just French fries on bread. How stupid. But back to sports, because that's what we do here, right? Um, I, I insisted that I was going to talk baseball, but Charles, go ahead. What's, what did you have on the Burger King matter? I was going to say, in England, that's called a chip buddy. <laughs> they, have, they literally have sandwiches that's just a piece of bread, chips or fries as we call them, yeah. and a piece of bread. Yeah. So chip buddy for all you uh, Englanders out there. Fun fact of the day from Charles Adley. Maybe that's what they're trying to appeal to, Burger King. They're trying to, trying to appeal to the, uh, the, the Englishman here stateside. With the chip, a chip buddy is what you said? Yes. Chip buddy. Interesting. They didn't market it as that on the promoted tweet that I saw during the break. Um, I have a simple, simple question with probably not that simple of an answer because what's going on in Major League Baseball right now is just such a disaster, such uh, on on all accounts via most parties, it is disastrous. And as guys report for spring training, more and more players throughout the league are being asked what they thought of the Astros sign-stealing scandal, and they're all coming out against it. And I don't know that I anticipated players being this furious over this I mean Mike Trout yesterday who is I who ironically has been bashed by the current commissioner of Major League Baseball Rob Manfred as being vanilla and never saying anything of substance to media and not allowing people an avenue into his world so as to be marketable as as the player that is universally celebrated as the best in all of baseball. I mean, he came out pretty hard against the Astros when asked by media yesterday and even had some fun joking around with the idea of knowing exactly what pitch was coming when and how well he would do. For the record, if Mike Trout knew exactly the pitch that was coming every single time, that guy would, like, he'd hit 750. Maybe 100 bombs in a season. But my question is with regard to the comparison of of PR nightmares for both the league and the Astros. I don't know who has handled things worse in this wake. The Astros or Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. One thing that's very, very simple. Look, I, I, I'm around baseball a lot. I do a lot with USA Baseball. I call a lot of ACC baseball in the area. I played baseball myself. Culturally, I feel like it's a sport that I have a pretty good grasp of. I don't always think that I fit in in said culture of that sport. But I, f- I feel like I've got a pretty good idea of 
I don't, I don't know. Take this hypothetical, for instance. If I was Major League Baseball commissioner, what to and what not to say in certain instances. When you look around the landscape of baseball, there's more media coverage than ever. And players are furious about the idea that the Astros stole a World Series championship from someone. That Jose Altuve stole an MVP award from Aaron Judge. I, I don't know. Maybe don't refer to the commissioner's trophy, which is the trophy that's got the tall flags on it in the circular pattern there that they give to the winning team of the World Series, the World Series trophy. Don't refer to it as just a piece of metal. Maybe not. Like, that. that's going to anger some players in your league that you are running. Pretty simple things, really. Being done the wrong way. On the flip side, if you're the Astros, right? You cheated. The league found it out. And you've been punished, whether to a great degree or not enough by some people's standards. Houston Astros owner Jim Crane, right? You call a press conference. This is after. This is this is 23 days after you tell media, well, our players, we're, we're going to wait till we get them all in camp, and then we're going to collectively apologize for the whole thing. So when you talk to our players, don't expect them to apologize on a case-by-case basis. 23 days after that, you were like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to gather the troops, collect our thoughts, and then give an apology. And then you have that press conference last week, I believe it was Thursday morning, and you don't actually apologize. I mean, I don't know who's doing it worse. And from, from, so from Major League Baseball's perspective, some of the things I get, but you're just not being proactive, right? I, I understand why Rob Manfred can't suspend specific players. I get it. A, it's going to go to arbitration, and it's going to be even more of a mess than you have right now. That might be what's necessary to, to wipe the whole thing away, but you don't want to do that because it's just going to it's not gonna it's it's not going to make the process of this going away any more hasty. Furthermore, as it goes to arbitration, and I've explained this to other people in the, the past few weeks too, good luck at, good luck proving that a player utilized this system. As long as like so let's assume, unlike Cody Bellinger of the LA Dodgers, let's assume that the buzzer thing didn't happen because there's not substantial proof against it yet we'll see to be determined assuming that it's simply the video from the outfield and the banging on trash cans to indicate what kind of pitch is coming how how do you know if a player used that or not can you can you put yourself in the player's mind we can look at numbers and say you know everybody benefited from or, or everybody played better when that was going on, on the outskirts. But you're not going to be able to prove definitively 
that a player was thinking a certain thing in his mind and, and individually during an at-bat. It's, it's just impossible, impossible to prove. So it's not a good case for you if you're Major League Baseball. So I, I get certain aspects of it, but man, there are, are tiny little details that with just a little bit of forethought could have been handled so much better. Number one, Rob Manfred. Don't demean what the players are playing for when you already see that every, literally every single one of them not in an Astros uniform is pissed off to no end. That somebody lacked integrity on their way to winning that. That's an indicator. Oh, okay, they care about this thing. I should, I should prop it up a little bit rather than referring to the championship trophy as a piece of metal and only a piece of metal. Astros, gosh, guys, you've been, you guys, with all that they have, uh, I hesitate to use endured because that shows that it's, it's not enough of a, a pejorative for me to use the word endured. It, that, that indicates or, or implies that maybe something was, was thrown onto them when these problems they created themselves. But don't forget, this is, this is the same team that during the playoffs had to fire their assistant general manager for harassing female reporters. They had a player get busted for PEDs twice and had to suspend him. They've, I mean, they've had their fair share of opportunities to get better at public image management. If you're going to take 23 days to apologize after telling reporters you wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page and that everybody was going to apologize as collective, actually apologize! If you have thoughts on either side of this, handling it worse or better than the other, feel free to give us a call, 1-800-849-2761. Brian Geisinger of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal is going to stop by. We will talk a lot more hoops, including the NBA All-Star Weekend, which concluded and was apparently really exciting. I admittedly did not see a lot of the All-Star happenings. I had some basketball of my own to call over the weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. I had games, but, you know, I saw highlights of the three-point contest, the dunk contest. Um, I was a little basketballed out by the time the game itself came on, but I – once I figured out that people were, were excited about what was going on with the Elam ending and other things, I, I popped it on for a few. So we'll talk about that, ACC basketball, and more with Brian Geisinger later this hour. Darren Vaught, and for DG, this is the David Glenn Show. I don't want those damn Dukies rooting for us. They've hated all year long. Let them go right on hate. If the situation were reversed, I would hope they would lose by 100. You're in fantasy land if you ever think NC State's going to make it back to the national championship game. So just forget that right now. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Keeping the peace in NC on the David Glenn Show. Oh, Charles. 
a man after my early 2000s emo kid heart. Darren bought in for TG. This is the David Glenn Show. That's red jumpsuit apparatus. Heck yeah, love them. Man, that's a throwback. Love that. I saw them at Warped Tour one time in Charlotte. This was like, I'd have to go back and look at the lineups. Circa 05, 06 maybe. Whew. What a trip. What a trip you just took me on, Charles. I saw them live at Western Carolina University a couple years ago with Mayday Parade. Great show. Huh. How about that? How about that? Well, all right. I'm sure the people don't want to hear me talk about early 2000s emo music. Instead, they would rather I talk about ACC hoops, college basketball, and the National Basketball Association, which I like to do, intend to do, and is one reason that I bring in our friend Brian Geisinger of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal. And you just, you literally just sat down, so I'm not going to like spring anything on you, but hey, right. what's up? I'm good. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing well. BG and I've seen a lot of each other lately. He's been calling uh, a, a, a number of ESPN Plus Big South Network games as my analyst, so that's been a lot of fun. I'm getting rather uh, acquainted with the Big South Conference this yeah. year. It's been fun. It is. Um, so we've got uh, High Point and Presbyterian College again this coming Thursday. Very exciting. So excited for that. Um, I think most people know I'm the voice of High Point University. So when they're on the road, mm -hmm. I do those radio broadcasts. And uh, it has not been a great season, but, you know, coming off of a win. Yeah. A chance at another against a, a, a beatable opponent. In, they, they've in had some PC. good games this year. We've seen we've called a couple games together that have been overtime or close or yeah. they've had a few near wins as well that it's, just sort of slipped away from them it's an insanely competitive conference uh for one that's that's i think the further down you get in the conference pecking order of college basketball the more level the, mm -hmm. the playing field gets so winthrop has been really good radford has been really good within the big south and then it's just sort of a cluster of everyone else and uh Gardner Webb is is surging because yeah. they they who won the Big South tournament last year and made it to the dance to ultimately lose to UVA played very competitive. They had a lead over UVA in the second half. Yeah, and very that's when every, that's game. when everybody was like, "Oh no, UVA is not going to let it happen again." Here Two it years. comes again. <laughs> um, well, BG, first off, let's talk uh, ACC hoops. You've been. At Cameron Indoor for most, if not all, of all Dukes. but maybe. I, unfortunately, I missed the Stephen F. Austin game, uh. so I missed a little history that night. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I've been there. I've been present at Cameron. We actually sent. Uh, we've got intern Sam on staff, and he's mm -hmm. been to two of the games at Cameron this year, and it was Stephen F. Austin and then Louisville. Ah. so he he caught both of those. He's not allowed losses. back in the, the confines of <laughs> no, Cameron now. According to this, the the uh, communication staff over at Duke, that's <laughs> yeah. certainly the case. Yeah, I think I saw a picture of his face on the wall last time I was in there on Saturday <laughs> so um Duke obviously is going to be at NC State mm -hmm. here in the triangle uh tomorrow night and big game you no know, it is it's huge for the Wolfpack because they has a couple of monster games this week that they, they host Florida State on Saturday as well mm -hmm. uh I mentioned to Luke Hancock earlier of the ACC network when he was on that DG yesterday I believe theorized that if State doesn't get one of these two this week at home at PNC Arena over either Duke or mm -hmm. Florida State, that they have essentially no shot 
at an NCAA tournament bid, even with the, the back-end game at I Cameron. Do. And perhaps something in Greensboro as well, too. Yeah. Uh, Short of winning the tournament, obviously. For sure. Do, would you view their season and its potential similarly? It's tough to say. Uh, I'd maybe... I think if they get, I think it's like you got to look at it as as there's four of these games. You have the the you have the the Florida State game, the two against Duke, and then maybe one thing in Greensboro, right? Right. Now that's without banking on that. Then yeah, I think if you did go zero and two, or if you didn't, yeah, I think that does put you in a little like you need to get one of these this week. I, I do sort of agree with DG to an extent on that. That said. Duke is a quad. Duke would be a quad one win opportunity. It's a chance to beat a top five team. You already have a pretty good win loss record. I don't quite know where they stack up in terms of quad one wins at the moment. Um, it sort of depends on where some of these things shake out as well. Um, but I still think a win over Duke in Cameron, and as long as you you know win a game or two in Greensboro, like they still have to f- fill out the field, you know, of of sixty eight teams, and, and I, so I do think. That would give them a str- I think that would give them a strong case, but without all the metrics in front of me, um, and with a couple bad losses on the resume too, um, yeah, I could I could see that I could see them perhaps being on the outside looking in. But again, I do think if you if you win at Duke, it's a game that a lot of people will watch. You, you beat a you beat a potential one seed. You get a quad one win. I think that I think it checks pull, a, it checks a lot of boxes, but it's definitely yeah. doesn't it doesn't it's not like a, a kingmaker moment for you as far as like your yeah. your 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 tournament resume goes. I think that given a couple of losses at home this week and missed opportunities against ranked teams in those cases, a win at Duke, assuming that they t- take care of all mm. of their other business and and don't have any surprising yeah. losses in the meantime, I think a win at Duke. Especially that it's at Cameron Indoor Stadium, it sort of like pulls you back up to level, yeah. where you could you could potentially make a case for the NCAA tournament with what you do in Greensboro. Yeah, and they played like last season. They played well in Cameron. Now they lost because Zion went nuts. That was actually the last full game he played uh, at home before his shoe blew out against UNC. Uh, Markel Johnson played really well in that game, and I thought that was one of the the. That's as much trouble as an opponent gave Trey Jones all of last season, um, and really maybe perhaps throughout his entire career. But Markell is not, you know, this season his he is he has slumped from basically everywhere on the field, but at the rim he's basically stayed level there. Um, you know, can he can he have one of those powerful games in one of these two opportunities against Duke and Florida State? Florida State's a team that switches a lot. Duke switches a fair amount too when Javon Delorier is in at the five. Um, you know, can Markel take advantage out of the pick and roll in some of these matchups? Like, it, he's had a season-long slump shooting the basketball. Can he, in the last, you know, two, three weeks of the regular season, in some of these big marquee matchups, can he step up and play low-mistake basketball along with hitting some shots off the dribble, which is really where he was elite last season, shooting out of the pick and roll, shooting in isolation, and that's that. Those wells have dried up this season, but they're going to need that against Duke. They're going to need it against Florida State, uh, two teams that are obviously looking to ignite ball pressure and turn you over too. So uh, there's a lot on his plate, and for the rest of the guards at State, like they're going to have to be monsters uh, for State to pull off one of these upsets here. Brian Geisinger is in studio with us here on the David Glenn Show. He's at bgeis underscore bird at b g e i s underscore bird, as in Larry Legend on Twitter. Um, North Carolina lost last night at Notre Dame. They led by, what, 15 with 
a handful of minutes remaining. Uh, I joked at the onset of the show, did anyone not think that three-pointer by Notre Dame was going uh, in? Everyone knew. It, it was, like, it was just, <laughs> just like the the Wolden 10 size shot for Virginia against yeah. UNC on Saturday night. You just, as soon as it left their hands, you said, this is this has to go in. Um, you know, the, the shot Lashensky hit last night was was wide open too so that that may have added to the you know for why you may have thought it was going to go down but yeah the UNC um as much of a struggle as has it has been for them to put together a product that was capable of winning basketball games like compounding their issues is that they're just a little snake bitten too um and we're seeing in all these late game situations um teams are able to find open open shots and it feels like again you know, those shots should go in 35, 40% of the time, but right now it feels like 100% of the time against UNC. Yeah, I mentioned a couple of stats in the first hour, one of which this is from our friend Brian Ives with ESPN. Yes, this these numbers have been making the rounds yeah, on social so media. North Carolina, yeah, and as I'm looking at this tweet, he's got uh, over 1,500,000, yeah, 1,500,000 uh, likes on it and uh it says north carolina opponents this season have made a field goal or free throw that either tied or took the lead with and there are 10 instances Mm -hmm. three seconds 13 seconds 27 seconds which is the longest yeah from uh, time left yeah 23 seconds one second 17 as time expires as time expires one second two seconds um look i i think we've we've all allowed our own internal waters to level on what North Carolina is and Mm -hmm. what this season has been. But if you saw them at the beginning of the year, Mm -hmm. there was some legitimacy to thinking, hey, this is a ranked basketball team, right? Oh, absolutely. And and you see these results. I thought they were going to be. They're in all of these games. Yeah. There's some legitimacy to that. It's like that's 10 missed opportunities. I mean, some of this is just bad luck, right? There's just no doubt. I mean, uh, you could run those games out 10,000 more times. They wouldn't lose all of those, right? Like they would have some wins and they would, you know, you would probably break even at some point. You know what I mean? Um, Again, this team offensively, and some of this was, you know, they missed, they didn't have Cole for a while, Um, Cole Anthony. But this is a like historic outlier in terms of, how inefficient they've been offensively for UNC. And despite that, um, they've still been in some of these games and they've had the ability to win, in part because they have some good players. Like, they have pros on this roster. Cole Anthony's a first-round pick. Armando Baycott's an NBA player. There are some other just good college players like Brandon Robinson and Garrison Brooks. Um, so you can see why they're able to compete because they have they have some talent, even if they're strapped on the on the wing for shooting or for really plus level talent there there's not the sort of like stereotypical unc high usage scorer out there um to sort of propel the offense but yeah like some of this is, some of this really is bad luck and i feel like with these last two games um obviously their own their own issues defensively have played a played a role in this but yeah part of this is like that shot uh, against you know from notre dame last night that, again that that shot doesn't go in most of the time, you know? The shot that Wolden Tensai Wolden Tens is one of the best corner shooters in the ACC, period. He, he is. Yep. He's a phenomenal corner three-point shooter. But, again, that's something that he makes 40% of the time, you know? Um, so, so yeah, there has, there has been just some, some of these coin flips have not gone UNC's way. That said, the, the, I, I can't remember a UNC team in my lifetime where the floor was so low 
where so many things had to go right for them to win a game. And even then, even then, you could they could still lose. And I think that's what sort of explains why they partly why they've lost 16 games already this season. Yeah, well, and it starts with the the quote least gifted attribute, right? Mm-hmm. Or or element of it. And and when you are a team that's that's not as gifted, your margin for error shrinks. Mm-hmm. And then when you are on the losing side because of that small margin for error, that's mm-hmm. where the luck comes into play yeah. because some of these shots, again, they can fall in different circumstances and they're not as impactful against a North Carolina team that's now lost six games by three points or fewer, and it ties the most in a single season in program history. Yeah. Two, uh, two other instances. Historical bad luck. The 1930 and 31 season, the 1940 <laughs> 41 seasons oh man like, i'm sure sports radio is crazy <laughs> discussing those losses back then oh yeah they were a riot on the airwaves yeah. back in the 30s and yeah, 40s discussing right. north carolina's six three points or fewer losses no <laughs> doubt about it uh that's another espn stats and info number by the way um that was uh mckenzie kramer of their group a really good researcher gotcha as well so uh well, well, let's take a break we'll talk more acc and maybe span the league a little bit more rather than dwelling on UNC's issues. But I do, as I mentioned earlier, want to talk about the silver lining potentially of the ACC having North Carolina play on Tuesday Mm -hmm. in Greensboro, which is just a fun idea given that city of Greensboro representatives have claimed this is the most important ACC tournament that they'll ever host because they're trying to vie for more spots in, in future deliberations with Mm -hmm. the league so we'll talk about that and the rest of the ACC I still want to get into NBA All-Star Weekend with you as well Ryan Geisinger's in studio of the ACC Sports Journal and ACCSports.com also Sports Channel 8 among others I'll say more with BG in studio next Darren Vaught filling in for DG this is the David Glenn Show the great difference between sport and capital E entertainment and capital S sport is that we don't know the outcome and that feeling of uncertainty positively or negatively is unique we are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote you know Aristotle or Confucius you're listening to the David Glenn show The emo hour of the David Glenn Show brought to you by absolutely no one because I don't know of a sponsor that would take that on. But if you are a potential sponsor that would like to, I'd be happy to talk. 1-800-849-2761. You better let me in on that because I'm, I'm the one queuing up all this music. <laughs> uh, Darren Vaught in for DG on the David Glenn Show. Charles Hadley on the other side of the glass filling in where I normally reside. Intern Will is with us as well. And BG, Brian Geisinger in studio of the ACC Sports Journal and accsports.com. We've got the uh, Duke Media Hoops game at Cameron Indoor tonight. Are you pumped up about that? Uh, uh, I'm very excited. Haven't played pickup in a little bit, so it'll be fun. But it's always a good, uh, it's good to get out there and see everybody. And uh, hopefully the jump shot's falling tonight. I mean, like it is like a little depressing because I, I used to be a decent at basketball and now I stink. But if I can like move past that psychological boundary, then yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, no, I, I um, we do this so, every year at Cameron. Yeah, so it's it's a cool event that Duke puts on. Local media get to play a, a lot of basketball on Coach K court, and they even uh, get get shirts made, and yes. usually those are pretty nice and mm-hmm. have names and numbers and that sort of thing. So it's it, it's really cool. And, mm-hmm. and secondarily, like you mentioned, it's cool to see people that. Yeah. You know, look, we, we all have fun with what we do, but it's still a job. So often when we're at the same events, whether it be covering the ACC or games, there's just not a ton of, of like downtime mm-hmm. to, to actually stop and, and, and truly be friendly with people. So it's a cool opportunity for something like that as well, like the, the contingent of us, the, of the media. Last Thursday, I called the, the Campbell-Hampton game for ESPN Plus down in Bowie's Creek. And uh, App had been there, was there for a wrestling match that day, too. And I ran into old friend Brett Strilo, once of the Fayetteville Observer, who now <laughs> is like a communications director in the athletic department at App. And he will be coming. So it was cool to catch up with him briefly that night. the celebrity appearance. But he will be coming descending the mountain. And so it'll be a good opportunity to catch up with Brett, <laughs> along with some other people uh, for, uh, for, you know, post-game we beverages. Do, we do uh, hashtag ACC legend. Yeah, Strilo is a sure. hashtag Cameron Indoor Media Game legend. He, he shoots it pretty well. Shoots it better in there than than Cam Reddish did last season. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but that's our own thing going mm-hmm. on. I'm looking forward to to ricocheting a lot of shots off the back of the rim and getting frustrated, but only to submit to hey, this is all in chummy good fun. Right, afterwards. exactly. So that'll yeah, be yeah. fun. It'll be a good time. So that'll be fun. Um, BG, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on Louisville, who has lost a couple straight games in the ACC, Georgia Tech and Clemson. And, mm-hmm. man, these just they, they're not just losses. I mean, this Cardinals team has looked uh, out of place, out of sorts. Jordan Wara, who is prior to these two games anyways, a national player of the year mm-hmm. contender yeah. and was averaging right around 19 points per game. He scored, what, I think seven over the two combined uh, are you worried about the Cardinals and, and their place? Mainly because from from my ACC vantage point, mm-hmm. if we're only going to get three or four teams in, yeah. I want them to be playing as well as possible when yeah. they get to the big dance. I'm not mashing the panic button yet, um, in part because the, the win they had over Virginia 10 days ago, um, offensively they were really good that day against a good, great defense. Um, this team has good depth. They're well coached. They have some future pros on the roster. David Johnson has really come on. Um, I mean, I, I think he came into the minds of a lot of people during the Duke game, but he flashed stuff early, before the, even before the calendar flapped, flipped to 2020. Um, I think there are some concerns defensively. Uh, against Georgia Tech, overall, the L Jackets weren't that good offensively that game uh, in terms of, like, you know, points per possession and efficiency standards, but... Um, they got a lot of dribble penetration in that game. And then against Clemson, I thought there were some lapses in Louisville's off-ball coverages. And the Tigers, um, I mean, they gashed them. It was, and Clemson has had, some, has had you know, half-dozen games Man, like that this they've year. They've ruined so many seasons, yes. in, it seems. In, in Amir, or they're, they're trying to. And Amir Sims is a, is, a, is a matchup issue. And with what he can do, slipping screens, <clears throat> and what he can do in their handoff game, um, 
he can create issues for you, and you, and you need your entire five-man unit on the court defensively to be locked in um, and keeping up with where he is at all times because the ball is going to find him, and it's going to reverse sides of the court, and like it's tough to keep up with. Um, the stuff with Wara is like harder to diagnose without being around the team every day. You know, he did like he was great against Virginia a, a week and a half ago. He was not great against Georgia Tech. He didn't start against Clemson, and that didn't seem to necessarily get him going at any point in time. Um, I thought once he got in against Clemson, he forced a couple possessions. I mean, his game is shooting off the catch. It's getting out in the break. It's not catch the ball against the set defense, dribble a couple times, use a ball screen, then create your own shot. Like in he he dribbled himself into some really bad turnovers early in that game, and then he was just checked out after that. Um, and even when Louisville made a little bit of run in the second half, it was like it wasn't Jordan Wara. It was David Johnson pick and roll with Malik Williams. It was Dwayne Sutton drive slashing in from the corner. Um, I feel like, especially against Jordan Tech, the ball movement was just so subpar. Like they need to get that thing flying and pinging around the perimeter. Like that's how they generate those looks for McMahon. That's how they generate those catch and shoot looks for Jordan Wara. And those guys have been assassins this season shooting um, from spot up possessions, two of the best in the country. I do think some of this, though, is also just like it's bad luck, too. Like the I, last night I pulled up their, their catch and shoot numbers from the last two games. They're not good, but they're, they're well below Louisville's normal, normal standards this season. That's going to improve. You know, Wara's a better shooter than he's, you've seen the last couple of games. Ryan McMahon's a better shooter than you've seen the last couple of games. Um, and I think if they can figure out a guard rotation, which Max seemed to be sort of searching for the last couple of games between. David Johnson, Fresh Kimball, Ryan McMahon, Darius Perry. You figure that out. You get Wara back online. You start figuring out how you can get more post touches for Stephen Enoch because he's been sort of missing in action the last couple of games. You have an excellent center platoon with Enoch and Malik Williams. Like you have all, you have an, a top twenty-five unit on both ends of the court, offense and defense, in terms of efficiency. Like it's okay. At some point this season, Jordan, or pardon me, Louisville was going to lose a handful of ACC games. It just so happens that of the three that they've lost. Two of them have been recently, and they've been yeah. against sort of like substandard competition. But Jordan Tech's been great against the spread this season when they when they play up when they're like when they're an underdog. Talk um, about ruining some seasons. They've they've kind of been on the, a similar it, rampage. Yeah, and Clemson and Clemson, I guess to an extent, has done that too, just sort of differently because even though Clemson is that's everything too. Clemson and Jordan Tech, these are two phenomenal defenses as well. So there's something to be said about that. Tech can be a hard team to prepare for because they switch defenses a lot. Although against Louisville, they really they were man to man like probably 99% of that game. So I'm not I'm not worried yet, um, but I do think they need to structure a, find a better balance between how can you get Johnson and Wara, their two most talented players, to play off one another better, and how can you get a little bit more ball movement um, offensively, defensively. I think they'll sort things out because Max a great coach, Dwayne Sutton's I think in all should be first should be all defense in the ACC this year. Uh, Malik Williams has had some struggles defensively, but like he's a good good big guy defender too. Um, so I'm not too worried about them there, and the shooting will come back online. You know, maybe talk to me again in a week, but right now um, I understand the concerns. I'm just not not panicking quite yet if I'm Louisville. Uh, he's Brian Geisinger at bgeis underscore bird on Twitter. Fine work with accsports.com, the ACC Sports Journal, Sports Channel 8, the BuzzBeat podcast, which covers the Hornets, which is the next direction that will go being the National Basketball Association. The NBA All-Star Weekend concluded a couple of days ago, and if you just peripherally, 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 saw uh, some added interest, some added mm -hmm. intrigue when it comes to the All-Star game itself as part of NBA All-Star Weekend. That was largely due to something called the Elam ending. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're not sure of what that is, we'll explain and how it made things more exciting on the other side. Darren Vaught in for DG. This is the David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. Darren Vaught, back with you on the David Glenn Show. Brian Geisinger's in studio as well. Charles Hadley on the ones and twos, as they say, or they used to say, decades ago. Anyways, my thanks to him for filling in over there for me. As I'm in for DG, he's at the University of South Carolina today with his daughter doing the college tour thing. That's cool. Yeah. Got to catch a number one women's basketball team last night. Very cool. Apparently just took down Vandy as they do most of their opponents because mm-hmm. well coached by Don Staley South Carolina is really good yeah. in women's basketball if you don't pay attention to that that side of the sports world this time of year um they're very 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 good but uh BG I w- wanted to quickly get into the Elam ending which was utilized for the first time ever at the NBA All-Star game and had become a little bit more in the public consciousness because of TBT, the basketball tournament, which airs on ESPN during Mm -hmm. the summers. And uh, essentially there is a bar set Mm -hmm. during the game at the end of the game. And it's a, and then it becomes more like a pickup game where it's first to blank. And this created some intensity, some, some excitement at the end of the NBA all-star game on Sunday and, of course, generated the, the question and conversation, would you like to see this at every other level of basketball, any other level of basketball, to which I think it's more of a novelty. It's fine for the All-Star game, but I'm curious how you viewed it. I mean, first off, it made it, the fourth quarter of the All-Star game was phenomenal. So much fun to see those guys, some of the best players in the world, out there um, playing highly competitive um, high anxiety basketball and to see the different ways that team LeBron and team Giannis were trying to attack the other. It was humorous to see team Giannis, uh, go after James Harden. Um, but, uh, it's, it just adds a different set of variables, take away the clock, focus on a point structure, you know, how our team's going to handle fatigue, how our teams handle timeouts, foul situations, all that changes. Um, I think it would be interesting to see it tried out more, um, obviously, in these sorts of exhibition games, the All-Star game, but something that we could probably see in Summer League with the NBA, something perhaps we could see in the G League. You could try it out in the G League as well, too. Um, I think it's a really interesting way to change. I don't think it's something that we're going to see you know, in the NBA anytime, the regular season or playoff NBA games anytime soon, but it is cool. Um, I think there's a lot of pros for it. I do think there's something to be said about um, you know, fatigue could, could become a factor, um, I saw as well that, and that's something you'd have to consider is because that's sort yeah. of why the, the setting a bar like that and then playing the setting a point bar like that and then playing an entire fourth quarter, it can kind of, it can wear out a team. Um, so that's something you have to, you'd have to be sort of mindful of, 
as well. Um, it ended on the game ended on a free throw, which I think some people were sort of saying, "Oh, well, this is a flaw in the system, whatever." But like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, yeah, I didn't mind that as it's much. Fine. I mean, it's a bit anticlimactic given but, like, the you intensity have, up to that point. But like, you have to have free throws in this scenario. You yes. do. I'm just sorry, you do. Like, it allows the game to maintain some sort of like flow of normalcy playing to to an end. You get, you kind of have to have that. Um, I'm sorry, this is part of it. And I did see someone else pointed this out on Twitter that only about 20% of the basketball tournament's games have ended with a free throw. So it's not a crazy number, but perhaps it's not totally insignificant. But I don't know. I wasn't turned off by that. You still have to do the thing to get to the free throw line in plenty of basketball games and with someone hitting a free throw or missing a free throw in the final seconds. Um, anyways, I thought it made for great drama, and it was a lot of fun all-star night Sunday. I tried I tried to be reasonable with my reaction to it. I, I, I admittedly didn't have the game turned on until after the intrigue for mm-hmm. this ending. Yeah. I, I started to see that make its way around Twitter, and my, my only thought is, like, it's cool, it's, it's different, it's a novelty, uh, the newness of it and the intensity sort of allowed the players to to treat it with mm-hmm. a bit more seriousness than they normally would a fourth quarter of an all-star yeah. game. And that was really cool to see. Super fun. But how would we view it if the intensity got to a level where, say, LeBron James tears a meniscus or Whoa. whatever? We would have a different, entirely problems. different view Big of the Elam ending here the following week. More with BG. Brian Geisinger is in studio. Darren Vaught in for DG. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. And yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.